0: Hello, welcome to Charity Chat, I'm your host Samuel Davies. In this episode we speak with friend of the show, Alison Taylor, CEO at CAF Bank and CAF Charity Services and Guy Foxall, CEO at 1YMCA about planning through turbulent times. We speak about valuing staff, understanding your stakeholders and how working with both through difficult times can lead to success for your charity. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Work For Good. Work For Good is a fundraising platform helping businesses raise funds for charities through their sales. The platform makes the legal agreement needed for businesses to fundraise from sales quick and simple, saving charities time and resource and enabling them to raise more unrestricted income. Pop to workforgood.co.uk to learn more and book a free demo. So without further ado, here is... Alison Taylor and Guy Foxell speaking with me about planning through turbulent times. I'm delighted today to be joined by Guy Foxell, CEO at One YMCA, and friend of the show, Alison Taylor, CEO at CAF Bank and CAF Charity Services. Guy, Alison, welcome to Charity Chat. Thank you. Thank you. So maybe if we can start with you, Guy, we're talking today about uh, planning through turbulent times. But um, to start off, if we can just ask you, how's your work at 1YMCA changed since the beginning of the pandemic?
1: Well, Sam, it's it's an easy question with a complicated answer, partly because 1YMCA does so many different things. We operate across Beds, and Bucks and into Oxfordshire and beyond, but in the different stuff that we're doing, We might look at our nurseries, where, to be honest, nothing's changed. You've got to keep them open. We did as much as we could, as much as staffing would allow during the pandemic. And sadly, the other thing that hasn't changed is the the woeful funding rate from the government, especially with... Uh, Bills going up so significantly. It's the same with our gyms and our community hubs, really badly hurt by the lockdowns. But actually, we found that people have not been coming back to work or back to our our sites, back out in public as much as they were before. So, so tricky times there. Then we moved to our family centres and our children's centres in Hearts and Bucks, and we did move to a few virtual sessions. Parents were were interested in, but now we're back face to face and actually seeing much greater demand for specialist services. More parents, sadly, having to choose between heating and eating, and making very very difficult decisions for their families with uh, with with almost no good choices. We also run a number of youth clubs across our area, plus overseeing the children and youth work across the twenty four RAF bases in the UK, and it's been brilliant seeing more and more young people coming out and using those services. They're loving getting out and about and out of the house, but also also, showing us that young people's mental health and their overall well being has been really hit by the pandemic, by the global events by the political instability and now I would say that the cost of living crisis being another nail that is starting to hold them down but we do actually offer some therapeutic services for both children and adults Uh, we offer domestic abuse and sexual violence support services they have become increasingly busy during lockdown Uh, one of the hardest hitting posters that I saw about this really rings true for us was domestic abusers work from home and actually that's been one of the scenarios that we have seen a real rise in our services. Thankfully our team has been there throughout to advise and if needed rescue people from their abusers and help them all the way through court cases which take even longer during the pandemic and through to some successful prosecutions. Uh, youth counseling was actually an odd one because we transitioned to virtual counseling sessions to about 5,000 of those a year. And uh, this is a very effective way of doing things but the most digital generation ever to exist told us they would prefer to meet Face to face. So we had to prioritize going back to in person meetings as quickly as possible in order to respond to what our young people were saying. And then lastly, and I'm coming into land here, uh, we give supported accommodation to around about 800 homeless people each and every night, taking them through what we call a dynamic pathway to independence. So hopefully they will be able to live a life with never needing our services again. And this hasn't changed at all. As you can imagine, it's impossible to uh, to run a homeless hostel from home. Uh, But my colleagues have been amazing, coming to work day in, day out, despite the real worry of those major health concerns, particularly in the early stages of the pandemic. Um, And perhaps our pinnacle achievement was being instrumental in helping end rough sleeping in Watford during lockdown which went from 83 rough sleepers down to zero and we have seen I guess that while our methods have changed across all the stuff that we're doing maybe a bit more virtual, a little bit more interactive in that respect because we're seeing a major increase in the severity of need and the levels of disadvantage that our service users are manifesting we actually have evidence that our face-to-face activities uh, gain stronger results so we've returned to a lot of the tried and tested ways we've always been using to change and to save lives that's fantastic
0: and so you you it sounds like you've been able to function and and thrive in some ways despite the the pandemic what what's it been like internally has has it been has anything changed in terms of um how you as the ceo kind of talk to your board or communicate with your board or in terms of managing your team is has there been any kind of learnings and, and adaptations off the back of the
1: the uh pandemic? it's a good question. I think what I'd probably say is that having gone to the point of virtual meetings which showed us we could do it, then most people have said, go, we don't want to do very much of this anymore, do we? So that could be a rebellion against having to to spend so much time in 2D, but we're just seeing that people want to get back to 3D meetings. And I guess that makes sense, particularly in the the sector that I'm in, in the the social and and charity sector. But I think everywhere, because so much of it is down to relationships. And I think you can only tell so much in a 2D screen. You can't tell I've got a blanket draped over my knees at the moment and I'm wearing my slippers. Uh, You know, there could be all sorts going on in my life. And actually, this little box that I give you to read me and my emotions isn't a very good indication of what's going on in my life. Whereas when you're there in person with someone, a huge percentage of uh, adult and child and indeed corporate relationships are between uh, nonverbal cues that we give each other, which is so different from what we say, so different what, from what we type. And therefore the ability to pick that up in a room, in 3D with someone is absolutely vital. And I think our, our colleagues, our trustees, and certainly our service users are saying that face-to-face matters we must prioritize it we must stick with it fantastic
0: that's really interesting is I've, I've heard something recently i can't remember where it might have been another podcast so this probably won't make it onto the episode but the um, that there was there was something about um the challenges of building consensus um virtually and that if you're not in the same room with a board, for example, I think that was the, the example they were using, it can be quite difficult to move people to understand and then agree with a, a single direction. I don't know how widespread that was, but it was just anecdotal, but that's was quite interesting. Um, so, Alison, we call you a friend of the show because you've been on before, and Kath <laughs> have done so many shows with us over the last few years, which we're really grateful for. Um, how have you and your colleagues gone about evaluating and adapting your organisational strategy to take into account the current economic cost of living challenges?
2: No, yeah, thanks, Sam, and, and, you know, great question, because for all of us at CAF, no matter which part of the organisation we work in, our sole mission is to support charities, both individually but also collectively, the, the sector as a whole. And because we have so many donor relationships, as well as charity relationships, we're, we're really right at the, the nexus to bring the two together and, and really lean into a crisis of this nature. And, and, and that was very much what we did during the COVID pandemic as well. So I think you know one, one key area for us was to get as much information and shared best practice out there as we possibly could. We launched the Cost of Living Hub on our Cafonline.org. Website. There is so much information on there for charities about fundraising, identifying new donors, um, managing costs, in particular managing energy costs. There's a great piece from Ethical Property Foundation on there um, with, with lots of practical advice um, and and digital fundraising, social media strategies. You name it we have tried to put as much information together as we as we can that charities can can lean into and then of course alongside that we, we do a lot of research at, at CAF with them um, polling both charities and donors monthly and we use that research yes to help inform charities and, and um, of what's going on in the sector and, and some strategies that they might like to try but also as a basis of our advocacy for government and public sector sector bodies more broadly. Um, and we've in particular lent behind increasing support over energy costs, which obviously is fundamental for so many charities, um, for improving access to gift aid. Um, and you know, looking to, to tax reform, particularly around VAT rules for the charities. So, so trying to do as many practical things there as we as we can from a, um, a policy and, and government perspective. And then I think across our donor base, both individual and corporate, uh, really trying to advocate the need to give more where, where people can um, and Make sure that people are giving in the most effective way possible. So, again, back to gift aid and payroll giving, the most efficient route that they can take. And also, I think, really fundamental at the moment, being prepared to give to unrestricted funds. You know, we see so many um, very generous donations going out for specific projects. But at the moment, I think so many charities just need to cover these higher than expected operational costs. We're doing a lot around grant making. We launched a 3 million key same fund for, and and that is all about funding operational costs for small charities. It will be the next phase of that fairly shortly. Um, And then for the bank, it's really around what more support can we give to our customers? So how do we keep our charges lower? We reduced our our account fee. Um, How can we pay more for savings? And most importantly, I, I think probably of all, how do we support our borrowers? Um, because, you know, the absolutely key for Cath Bank is to get more affordable lending out to charities that that need it. Um, but then, of course, in a, in a time like this where funding is all under, under pressure um, and financing costs are going up, you know, we want to make sure that we are as flexible as we possibly can be and, and support our borrowers. Come what may. And um, so we've just written out to everybody who, who who's um who we have a loan in place with to make sure that they know that, that support's
0: there. Fantastic. And it sounds like the a, a big part of your work is is listening to what your um stakeholders are, are, are feeling and what their how their lives are and the kind of feedback they're able to give you. And um, we've talked a bit on the podcast about. Um, kind of how charities can try and develop their conversations with their supporters and their beneficiaries. Do you have any, I suppose, kind of general kind of views regarding how your teams go about uh, building relationships with your um, stakeholders? Is there a kind of a, um, do you have, is is it kind of embedded within your kind of training and learning within your own team?
2: it it is. Um, but I would say as well though that I think each charity's situation is different and you know we, we need to respond to each set of circumstances in a in a fairly unique way. You know, if you take our um research into charity sentiment at the moment, I think many would say there's a high degree of nervousness over what the financial outlook is for the for the next X months, you know, but equally there are there are other charities who are actually fundraising very well, whose existing donor base are, uh, are are giving more because they see the need. So the, there is a very mixed picture out there. And I think each set of different circumstances needs needs a different response from us. And, and, and that's what I hope we try our best to give.
0: Well, I know that every time I've called Cath, I've had a good customer service um, response. So, I've, you know, it's... it's, it's delighted to hear that. Things. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's really good. <laughs> So, yeah, Guy, what process do you use to um, gauge your current supporters, as well as potential supporters, situations and uh, ability to support your work and then tailor your messages to them so that you're not um, putting too much or not enough uh, pressure in your
1: ask? Well, actually, Sam, it's quite an easy answer because we don't have very many supporters. Uh, so that, what that does mean is if you're listening to this podcast and fancy getting involved, then you should definitely do that. And you can you can add to our small number. It's one slash support dash us. However, for the people who do support us, they're actually a small enough group that it does mean that we can speak with many of them individually, especially if they're one of our new Corporate Connect Club members. And that is really for businesses who are interested in being involved. And that means that that, that sort of personal, I'm talking, you know, really practical stuff a cup of coffee uh, or a breakfast or something, two things that have happened uh, in in the last few days uh, alone, uh, that's so much better than the email, or as I say, the the, the 2D uh, relationship, uh, because we're trying to go above that to another dimension, as it were. And that means that we can find out what they're particularly passionate about within the charity, what they can potentially afford to support. And even if they can't support us right away, they usually know someone who can. And that's one of the things that hasn't changed during the pandemic and the lockdown and the, um, the, the cost of living actually, there's still networks out there. There's still relationships. And we've had some brilliant meeting rooms donated to us for free, sponsorship of staff events, uh, and of course, the, the regular one-off and uh, significant donations that make all these the difference in the tough times. Um, so we're not seeing that people at this stage are really battening down the hatches. And generally, if they were able to support us a little bit in the past, they're still able to support us now. Um, we also hope that for our individuals and our, both the donors and perhaps the volunteers, so we've got loads of people who volunteer their time, we've got occasional newsletters and Updates on our website too. But at this stage, we haven't gone for massively nuanced uh, interactions. We're hoping that the strength of our message of the lives that we're changing and saving will actually hit home with all of our supporters and encourage them to stay involved in whatever way they got involved. So some people want to support the work we're doing with perhaps uh, domestic abuse survivors. Others want to support the homelessness work we're doing. Others just have an eye for young people and what might be going on there. We're also finding that um, our local authorities, both at district level and at county level, are being really supportive. Wherever there's spare money, not that there is much spare money, but they are responding and meeting that need. It's the same with the government. Some of their funding streams are open and are being able to be accessed. And in fact, to your earlier point that you were discussing with Alison, uh, CAF actually lent us uh, £9 million for us to be redoing uh, one of our hostels. And it was great to get the letter from those guys uh, saying, you know, talk to us. And that's exactly what we'll be doing. Because, like many charities. We've got the chance to, you know, what we do over this next year is going to set us up for the coming years. And there's a danger sometimes when crisis hits that we cut too deeply, which will then stop us getting back up again and, and motoring when perhaps some of this this current crisis starts to, to level out. So it's a mixed bag for us, but we find that those face-to-face and personal interactions are the thing which is helping us develop the ask that we make to these users, uh, these these supporters, and make sure that what we're asking for isn't so uh, outrageous that it makes them feel guilty about not being able to respond. And do,
0: do you think that, the i suppose the the times in which we're living in this it's obviously a very difficult time for a lot of people probably most people are thinking about their own personal finances and what might be coming up down the line but do you think that kind of sense of introspection and and then i suppose the the possible uh time then and the 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 um pressure maybe for organizations to think about those types of things there's an opportunity there for charities to maybe improve the way that they are engaging with supporters and being a bit more empathic towards supporters than they might have been prior to these arguably more difficult times?
1: No, it's a good question. I'm sure at some point there'll be some research and data that either proves what I'm going to say is complete rubbish or that it's vaguely (laughs) accurate, Uh, but my sense is that in general, organizations and people who already had a philanthropic mindset, when things get tougher, they dig deeper and give more. So what we're in is a scenario where potentially charities like ours can do a better job, as I think you're implying, of. of opening the door, that window to volunteering or to giving, which says your money, your support, could achieve this during the, these difficult times. And businesses love that because they can put it on their website. But people love it in their hearts because they can feel that they are making a difference. They know where their money's gone and what it's been spent off and they can see an outcome at the end of it. And I do think all charities could do that better, but particularly some of the, the local and regional charities like ourselves, who don't have the budget or perhaps even the the, the marketing, uh, you know, pros that we see in some of the the, the larger national charities we do need to learn from that we need to connect with our donors in increasingly strong ways and we've got to be even better at uh, delivering that but I have to say some of the areas that we've been growing most significantly in our sort of fundraising and and partnership uh, areas has been really facilitated by some of the people in our corporate connect club because they're telling us what businesses want to see and what they need you know they're telling us don't bother with a champagne reception we'd rather it was you know fizzy water and plastic cups and we got to spend our money on the right sort of thing so the schmoozing isn't important actually meeting some service users is or hearing their stories because that's what you know gets us that's what enables us to say I want to support that I need to get involved so I think this is one of those opportunities where as the need increases and perhaps people's pockets are feeling a little bit more empty there is still that opportunity to do a better job of showcasing how we are intervening and, and making an impact on that need because I still think people who are going to give a tenor during easy times are still probably going to give a tenor during tough times
2: I think I think our um, I couldn't agree more with what you're just saying there guy and I think our research absolutely does back that up um, and and you know more will as we as we release our December research which I'm I'm, I'm not allowed to front run but clearly am slightly. Um, I think I think that will really evidence that. Um, and we also we we fixed some work with pro bono economics and and I think that they um really highlighted that to get new donors on board and 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 really um, yeah giving regularly that 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 is about seven times the cost of working with your existing donor base. and I mean we would all know that it would be. lot a lot more but I didn't imagine seven times would be the the multiple Um, and I think I think there's a real you know we can't all endlessly keep revisiting the same population of of givers but I I think um, it does it does really underline that need to look after the existing database for sure.
0: And do you you get the sense Alison from um, what you've been doing around um, innovation and that charities are Either having more capacity, or or being uh, pushed, or uh, getting more board buying, because given the situation that we're in currently, to try new things and and test new things, and in some cases succeed in those new things.
2: I think for many that that is true, but it's equally difficult if you have very limited resources. You're you're going to be cautious about trying new things that might not work. I think that's just human nature for for many. Mm-hmm. And I think that is is harder for smaller charities as, as well to really, um, you know, just got less flexibility and, and less wiggle room to to do that. And um, probably one of the biggest challenges at the moment, I feel that people in the sector are more and more stretched and, you know, we're all trying to do more with less and, and a lot of our people are bearing the brunt of that, um, you know, and I, I think that's a dynamic that We're only just emerging from one crisis in in which we've probably relied on people's goodwill to keep the show on the road. And we can't launch straight into another one and and have the same dynamics for our staff base. So I I think that that's something that charities across the board and ourselves included, you, we've got to be quite mindful of that.
0: So, Alison, as CEO, how do you balance the needs of your of the beneficiaries the charities and others that you're working with with the needs of your staff and how do you navigate the best way of supporting both those groups
2: i mean look, i think it's you know it, it is tricky because there's times when um there's clearly a degree of you know prioritizing one or the other but i i have always thought in any organization if you look after your customers really well and you look after your people really well you will navigate whatever challenges come your way successfully and, and, you know, good outcomes will follow. So both the needs of our our charity customers and our staff, those are my paramount concerns, to be honest. And I think we're we're very lucky at CAF. We've got a very dedicated, um, mostly quite long-serving staff base who are very committed to the success of the charitable sector and who are very committed to CAF. But at the end of the day, they face all of the same personal challenges and financial challenges as everybody else does. And if someone is unable to pay their own bills and manage their own life appropriately, then they're going to feel those pressures. And however dedicated they are to to the sector and to CAF, that's, that's going to start coming into question. So we we have to look after people appropriately. We've got to make sure that they are well supported with any issues that they that they have. Um, I think we've lent in a lot to financial wellbeing, education, to our employee assistance program, but also, and, and I'd be unapologetic about this, to looking at how we pay everybody and whether it is fair. And I think we, we've we had to respond um, to you know, escalating costs for, for all of our staff with a, with a whole widespread pay review and, and to make sure that we're treating everybody fairly. Otherwise, we're not going to be sustainable for the long term and we're not going to be looking after our customers for the many, many decades to come that I hope we will be.
0: That's really good to hear because, of course, we're recording this in, uh, just looking what the date is, January 2023 and it seems like a a lot of um, different uh, groups are are on strike currently over pay but the the charity sector um, with a couple I think maybe one or two exceptions um, aren't doing so and I guess it's a a difficult one for employers isn't it that you know the leaders in charities to kind of weigh those needs of every pound raised to support the greater need by beneficiaries but at the same time Try and support their staff in at a time where inflation's gone through the roof. Guy, how do you how do you manage these challenges at at one YMCA? Are you having to kind of um, have conversations with staff and and uh, board the board to try and navigate this? as part of your planning?
1: Yeah, very very much so. I mean, for the first time ever, we've seen many of our let's pick on housing housing support staff. Are advising people who are homeless who actually, because of the housing benefit they're getting, may have more um sort of spare cash and cash flow available than our staff team do. Wow. So it's it's the strange, strange scenario that, that that sort of there's a real leveling going on in yeah. some of the lower income areas, and it's a significant, significant challenge. We're seeing uh, members of our staff team who are sort of it would be warning signs for people who would then become homeless. So, you know, it's a real tricky time um and yes it's a charity what do we do each one uh, each percent of costs that we may wish to one uh, percent of pay rise costs our charity about one hundred and twenty thousand pounds if we were to award that uh to everybody so it's a major major undertaking that we're, we're thinking about very very carefully that said just as alison said you want the people who have shown all the commitment to our charity you want to be able them to to be able to afford to do what they love and what they're so good at and yet you know pay all the bills and stay working with us so yes also looking at uh, people's mental and emotional well-being, as well as employee assistance and some of the the financial uh, sort of uh, prudent decisions. But then we're trying, as a charity, to see what we can do in the, the coming year to to be able to to catch up, as it were, a little bit because inflation has rushed off. How do we gently stay in a in a course that we can stay in because it sustains its a marathon. Not a, not a sprint, but I am you know it's a huge relief to me that our charity colleagues uh, don't strike and uh, as far as I'm aware, I have no plans to strike at the making of this podcast. but how would you run a homeless hospital uh, without a number of significant uh, talented, experienced staff team who know those individuals day in day out? It's a wonderful, wonderful thing that they do to, to give uh, you know, their, their time and expertise to us for much lower pay, much lower pensions, much lower benefits. And it's my hope that that will continue to be the case. But we as charities across the whole sector need to carry on, uh, in some cases, maybe closing things down, doing things differently, even saying goodbye to some colleagues in order to pay the rest what is a fair and sustainable wage in this current time. We're a living wage employer, but that's still not nearly enough for the current challenges that people are facing out there.
0: Alison, what what are you finding most helpful to support uh, yourself, your colleagues, your beneficiaries and your charity through these uh, difficult times what hopes do you have for the future
2: i mean i think i think at the moment the whether it's interacting with our customer base or whether it's interacting with with colleagues the most important thing at the moment is recognizing that the need for really personal and, and, and open and supportive conversation because there's a lot of people either in managing our, our Charity customers, um, all within our staff base, who are up against some really challenging circumstances, it's causing them a, you know, a fair degree of stress. Um, and so I think that there's a real need for some, some kindness and patience and real honesty in, in all of our dealings at the moment. And of course, when we're all under pressure as well, sometimes it's going by the, by the wayside a bit. Um, and I completely agree with what Guy said earlier, you know, that that focus on all aspects of well-being at the moment is is really high on our agenda as an organisation. And in terms of hopes for the future, I think one of one of the positives that comes out of these times of crisis is real increased awareness of the charity sector and the value that it brings. Um, but also increased awareness of, of need in local communities. And I think our, our research is underlining that uh, a lot. So I think I'm, I am hopeful that despite all of the challenges that, that, that people will come together and, and support the sector and support individual charities strongly through this, this crisis. And that this might mark a tipping point where we're able to get charities to, to the table um, in discussions with government earlier um, on policy changes and on you know, really contributing to the solutions to a lot of these these challenges that we face as a, as a country at this point. Because, you know, there's a lot talked all the time about public and private sector working together, but actually it's charities that are often the, the first line of defence when things go wrong. And it would be so much better if they were at the at the table for discussions in public and private sector from the get-go and, and really able to design their part in being that first line rather than just being the recipient of it. So that that's my real hope at this point, that, that we didn't quite manage it enough from the COVID pandemic, but this time, hopefully, we will.
0: Fantastic. And Guy, for you, how's your... What's your your hope over the next few years for your organisation and the work that
1: you're you're doing? Well, I mean, part of what you've um, you've been asking is in relation to how we we sort of support our staff. And certainly, uh, you know, I've got a fabulous team of colleagues who are very supportive of me and each other. We're backed up by thoughtful and wise trustees, so there's no shortage of help out there. Um, But I think it's a a bit like Alison saying, it's a real conundrum that in many respects charities have or are developing the answers. Now, I'm incredibly blessed to be part of uh, the oldest and largest youth charity in the world, the YMCA. And so there are another 100 CEOs out there just in the UK alone, some of the sharpest and most creative minds in the sector. And those are people who I can trust to share almost anything and they can critique and speak honestly into my thinking and my decisions. So I'm not operating in a a lonely vacuum, which I think can be a real danger for CEOs, especially when times are tough and when we don't have all the answers. But that encouragement and support, I think, is the sort of thing that together we could create some really interesting ideas to the challenges out there. I guess everything I said at the start of the, of the show in terms of uh, outlining the increasing need, that sounds quite bleak, but I think there is real cause for hope, and we see this working with young people. One of those hopes is going to be partly realised by the, the £9 million loan from CAF to create a 100-bed hostel, so that, that's a start of the process, because these guys go on to great things when they leave our services. But more widely, I think we have seen that, that people, and particularly young people, um, that when we've got behind them and supported them to independence, they then have an amazing ability to bounce back and to do incredible things. So from my perspective, I'm full of hope that all the challenges that we see around us, whether that's societal, environmental, financial, that these things are gonna be tackled by the younger generation. In fact, the generation that we're raising that YMCA is supporting right now, and our charity in particular can help bring those voices and those ideas and those calls for change to government and and to policymakers. And I think that's a really hopeful message, which is that the people that we're raising and supporting, they will sort out some of the mistakes that we've made or haven't gone far enough in. And from my perspective, that would be yeah a strong hope that we can do enough that gets those voices to be heard by the people who are making those massive decisions before um, they get too much older. Because to be honest, the ideas that they're already the solutions are there to be found by the people who are inheriting uh, this world uh, after us, this community after us. And it's my hope that we can do more to get those voices into places of power and influence to start bringing uh, alongside the sorts of change that our communities need to see if they're going to belong, contribute and thrive to the society that we're building together. Fantastic. Alison Taylor,
0: Guy Foxhall, thank you for contributing to Charity Chats. Thanks. Absolute you. pleasure.
1: Thank
2: you.
0: A big thank you to Alison Taylor and Guy Foxell for sharing their knowledge and insights with us here on Charity Chats. While many will enjoy the opportunity to reduce travel costs and work from home, there is a benefit from face-to-face working which is not easily replicated working virtually. Guy talks about his charity's work and the desire both internally and externally for he and his colleagues to work in the same physical space. When it comes to giving and receiving empathy and building consensus, Being in the same space poses many benefits. Alison spoke about the work that she and her colleagues are doing to understand the needs of their charity customers and how feedback is inbuilt in their communications. By understanding the world around us and how it is affecting our customers, supporters and beneficiaries in real time, we can adapt our communications and projects to better accommodate them. When quantitative data is not available or easily skewed by small numbers of respondents, we might be better served in gathering qualitative data which may take the form of a conversation with those using our services or contributing to them. We talked in this episode about the current cost of living crisis and inflation of prices which is far surpassing wage rises. This is leading to strikes in many industries though there has been little adoption of this by those in the charity sector, there is a challenge for leaders in the sector to provide adequate pay to staff while also meeting the needs of their beneficiaries and projects, especially in small charities or those living hand-to-mouth. With some of the most dedicated staff in our society putting their efforts into supporting their charity's objectives and making the world a better place, this can't come at the cost of the health and well-being of these staff. Many charities are hopeful for a greater effort by government to address the wider societal cost increases which are affecting our staff as those we are trying to support. So thank you, dear listener, for getting this far with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear either way. Please do like and subscribe the podcast so you never miss an episode. Plus, share with any colleagues or friends who may be interested. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, work for good work for good is a fundraising platform helping businesses raise funds for charities through their sales. The platform makes the legal agreement needed for businesses to fundraise from sales quick and simple, saving charities time and resource and enabling them to raise more unrestricted income pop to workforgood.co.uk to learn more and book a free demo. We'd also like to thank Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit, Magda Aksmit for our beautiful website. Check it out at charitychat.org.uk and of Fools for playing throughout the show and for playing us out right now. That's it for me. Keep on doing what you can. Speak to you soon. Cheerio. Bye-bye.